Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. All right, today is the first Sunday in the new church year. And to celebrate, we have a text about the world falling apart. What? Right. We hear about the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, stars falling from the sky. It seems like a really horrible way to start a new year. Couldn't we start with something a little more cheery? Something to get us in the mood for Christmas? Right. Why is this how Advent starts? Well, before we get into it, we need some context here. Right? Most of the gospel readings for this year will come from the Gospel of Mark. And Mark was written around the year 60, so roughly a generation after Jesus died. And it's the first gospel account in the Bible to be written, and Matthew and Luke did pull a lot of their stuff out of Mark. Around the time Mark was written, around actually 66 to 73, to be exact, there was the Jewish-Roman War. Now, this was a war between the Roman establishment and Jewish freedom fighters. And it seems to have started when a Jewish temple clerk refused to allow sacrifice to the Roman emperor at the Jewish temple. And the Jewish people were protesting how Rome was taxing them. So it all kind of escalated from there. The worst part of the war was in the year 70. This was when the Roman Empire, led by Emperor Titus, ransacked Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, and destroyed the temple. That war and the destruction of the temple was a pivotal moment for these Jews. So this means that the first audience of this gospel were early Christians who were living in the midst of this war. Right? The Gospel of Mark and the destruction of the temple go hand in hand. The original audience would have resonated with this imagery about the world falling apart. And so when we get this kind of end-of-the-world imagery, that's what it's talking about. Okay? It's not about celestial events up in the sky. I mean, the sun has been burning for five billion years. And has another five billion years left. The moon doesn't even give its own light. It reflects the sun. And stars are not going to fall from the sky and destroy the earth. The closest star is our sun, and that's 93 million miles away. The next closest star is 25 trillion miles away. They are not going to crash land into earth. But... When you are dealing with tragedy all around you, like that original audience, sometimes the best way to describe it is to talk about the world going dark. For example, on February 14th, 1884, Valentine's Day, a day to celebrate love and relationships, 
25-year-old Theodore Roosevelt received terrible news. At the family home in New York City, both his mother and his wife died within hours of each other. His mother, Mitty, age 50, died of typhus. And his wife, Alice, age 22, died in childbirth. Now, can you imagine losing both your mother and your spouse on the same day and being in your mid-20s when it happened? In his ever-present pocket diary, Roosevelt simply wrote a bold letter X and then one sentence. It said, the light has gone out of my life. Of course, there was no actual light, like a sun that went dark, but you know what he's talking about. Right? That simple line was a feeble attempt to capture what he was feeling. So the gospel writer and the original audience knew what was meant by all the imagery in today's reading. When tragedy happens, sometimes it feels like the light has gone out of your life. And that's the only way you can describe it. When your world is shaken and everything's falling apart, then you use imagery that talks about the world being destroyed. And much of this imagery also connects back to the Old Testament, to the destruction of Babylon and Edom. Basically, in the Old Testament, when big, important cities were destroyed, it was described on a cosmic level, especially since it was seen as a sign of God's judgment. Now, that kind of imagery is being used to describe Jerusalem. But then, when the light has gone out of your lives, does that mean the light will never return? Thankfully, no. Because as the text goes on, it reminds us of something wonderful. The gospel writer puts it this way. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of earth to the ends of heaven. In Advent, we're reminded of three really important things. First, our world is a mess. It's full of tragedy and sorrow and pain. We look around and we see it. Second, Jesus comes to us in the midst of this messy world. The state of our world does not prevent him from coming. We are not too far gone. And third, when he comes, it can be a surprise. Because with all the pain around us, sometimes it's hard for us to see him. And consider this. 
When we hear about the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, please don't think of it as some cosmic light show in the sky. Just like how the imagery of the sun and the moon and the stars isn't about what we see in the sky. Please don't think this description of the clouds is either. Instead, think of it like how God was present with the Israelites in the wilderness. In that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Or think about Moses going up on Mount Sinai to be with God and disappearing into a cloud. Or think about the cloud that was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured and the divine voice spoke from it. The image of a cloud is often used in the Bible to talk about God's presence. It's the same idea here. Right? This is not about Jesus appearing in the sky and being surrounded by condensed water droplets. It's about how he is God's presence in our midst. Plus, the statement that he will gather his elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, that's an echo from the Old Testament about God bringing back God's people who have been dispersed. So in other words, it's like saying there is no place that his divine love cannot reach. There is no place you can go that Jesus can't reach you and pull you back to himself. That's amazing. Sometimes when people hear this end-of-the-world kind of stuff, they think it's a description of things that must take place before Jesus will return. They look at conflicts in the world, especially in the Middle East, and they say we're living in the end times. And they think these are basically prerequisites before Jesus will come, that these have to happen first before he'll come. No. Okay. Instead, the conflicts in the world simply remind us that this is the world into which Jesus comes. If we had to wait for our world and our lives to be perfect, then he'd never come. That's the whole point. Jesus comes to us in our mess. Jesus loves this world, and he loves you so much so that he comes to you in the pain and in the sorrow and in the death. But here's the thing. We don't always know when we'll see him. Even so, that doesn't mean he doesn't come. It just means that we need to pay attention and look for it. Right, that's what the rest of this reading is getting. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. 
that statement is not meant to strike fear into our hearts. It's not meant to be a warning like, hey, look busy, the boss is coming. Right? No, this is a word of comfort. It's a reminder that you are not alone. Jesus comes to you. Even so, you might not know when you'll see him. It'll surprise you. When you feel all alone, and you feel like your world has gone dark, don't be surprised if you suddenly notice that he's been with you the whole time. Basically, it's that footprints in the sand poem all over again. This would have been an incredible word of comfort for that original audience. Even when Rome attacks and your most holy city is destroyed, you are not abandoned. Jesus still comes to you. He carries you, even when there's only one set of footprints. And even today, when you watch the news or when you look at what you're going through personally, those painful events are not the end of the story. Jesus comes to you in your pain. And he comes to give you new life. He comes to carry you. Yes, you don't know what that new life will look like, but he still comes to give you new life. And so, yes, at first, this sounds like a very weird text to start a new church year. But in a way, it's also a wonderful text. Because Advent is a time of joyful anticipation and celebration of the coming of Christ. It's the reminder that good things are coming. Even though we don't know the details of how we'll see him, we know that he still comes to us. So that means no matter what this past year has been like for you, no matter what this new year will bring, nothing can keep Jesus away from you. There is no problem you have that will scare him away. There is no tragedy in this world that is more powerful than him. There is nothing, not even death, that can keep Jesus away from you. So keep watching. Because he is at work in this world. And seeing him is something that you definitely don't want to miss. Happy New Year. In the name of the one who comes to us in our pain. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.